Welcome to Beyond Better, a podcast that explores a simple but profound idea. We all deserve to live lives we love, and that includes our work lives too. I'm Stacey Ennis, an author and longtime location-independent entrepreneur living in Portugal with my family of four. Join me as I talk business, location independence, writing, travel, and so much more, all focused on building a life that is beyond better. I am so excited today to have Jacqueline Malone on the podcast. I worked with Jacqueline as my business coach and she has become somebody that I really admire and that I go to when I have new projects coming up or I'd like a pair of eyes on something. And Jacqueline has really built an amazing following of her work in helping people establish themselves as go-to experts in their industry. So let me just introduce you to Jacqueline before I welcome her to the podcast. Jacqueline Malone is the founder of GoToGal Media, online business coach for entrepreneurs and host of the GoToGal podcast, which you should definitely go check out. GoToGal has been named one of Forbes top 21 podcasts for 2021 and is a top 200 marketing podcast on iTunes. Jacqueline works with experts around the globe to help them become the go-to authority in their space. Her approach combines business strategy with mindset practices to help her clients bust through their blocks and exponentially grow their businesses. She's been featured in Forbes, Entrepreneur, Yahoo Finance, Reader's Digest, Parents, and has spoken at marketing conferences around the U.S. Jacqueline has proudly built the go-to empire in her slippers from her home in Rochester, New York, where she lives with her husband, two children, and fur baby. Jacqueline, welcome. I'm so excited to get to talk with you today. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yay. So I listen to your podcast, of course, the Go-To Gal podcast, and you always ask interviewers a a simple question right when you right when you introduce them and so I'm going to throw that one back at you. You ask people what they were the go-to person for growing up. And so I want to know what were you the go-to person for and how has that changed or remained consistent throughout your life? Ooh, I love having this like thrown back at me. <laughs> oh, so okay, when I was when I was I guess in elementary school age, I would say at that point in time, I was probably the go-to gal for just like imaginative play. It was always like, let's play pretend, let's make a house, let's build a fort, let's do a play, let's do something like that. And I still am very creative, but I think around middle school, I would say it started to become more of the go-to gal for talking. <laughs> more That person for my friends of, if they had to talk something out, if they needed advice for something, family members, and that's still to this day. I would say through college and still all of my friends, like I'm the family members, I'm the one they come to with like, let's talk out this problem or hash something out. Or even, I don't know, in college, I was the one to, to speak out of like, oh, we need, when extra, you know, they forgot to give us ketchup at the table when you asked the server. <laughs> like I was the one who 
wasn't like, okay, like we need this. Oh, so, but I wasn't, the funny thing is, cause you said, how has that evolved? And there was some type of shift because when I was younger in elementary school, I don't think I had that confidence or maybe just like getting to that point of relationships yet. It's funny. My daughter is now in third grade and she's on uh, Facebook messenger, like kids messenger. And I get her weekly report literally last week. She had 95 calls with her best friend. Oh my <laughs> like, God. Even possible in one week, 95 calls. Oh, but we didn't have that then. Right. So maybe I just wasn't given that opportunity or maybe I just don't remember as clearly. Oh, I love that. And I'm curious, you know, people came to you to talk things out. Was it that you were a great listener? Did you ask great questions? Did you give great advice? Like, what was it that attracted them to you? I think it's a little bit of everything. I've always been, when I was little, people would always say, oh, you're like an old soul. And, and I think that I just always had that kind of advice giving in me. But part of being able to give good advice is being able to be a good listener and understand people and be empathetic and that like intuitive connection that you have with people. So I think that that's just kind of been there all along. I don't know if that's something I developed or just had. Yeah, I love that. So bring me to today and how does this go-to quality of yours, this, this quality of being a great listener, great question asker, great supporter, great advice giver, how does that connect to what you do today, helping people become the go-to authority within their industries? It's so funny because it's everything, right? It's it's the relationship building. It's the interviewing on the podcast. I used to have a, a list of questions I would ask and I would get so tripped up because I'd be trying to remember, okay, what's the next question? So I wouldn't totally be listening while they were answering it, right? And as soon as I dropped that and just started getting really present in the conversation, because that is something that I'm good at, I was able to go deeper with my questions, be more in my zone. And we had a noticeable shift in responses from our listeners that are like, oh, I love what you were asking, or I was thinking the same thing, or you're such a great interviewer, which is funny because I've never been trained to interview, right? But as soon as I stopped trying to interview and just lean more into the conversation, it felt more natural. And same thing with coaching. And it just, it naturally came into place. So, so much of that was just leveraging the natural strengths I had, which I think is the best way we can grow our business, right? Is what are those natural strengths that you have and how do we like quadruple down on that instead of saying, oh, I really struggle with this thing. How do I get better at it? How do we really build it around your strengths? And the more I've done that in my business, the faster I've grown and the easier it's been to grow. Yeah, so it's interesting taking us back a step. Before we hit record, you and I were talking about how when you're first starting a business, you look to these people who have these really successful businesses or you, we want to build a personal brand and you look to people who have these amazing personal brands and you wonder, how did they go from where I am to where they are? And so I'm, I'm sure that listeners are wondering, how did you go to become the go-to person for go-to people? What is that journey? What brought you to that work today? And yeah, if you could share a little bit about that story, I'd love to hear it. Sure. So it all started when Lily Pulitzer did a collaboration with Target. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm only half joking, but there was a whole Lily for Target oh, thing. Yes. I do remember and, that, of course. Oh, and I got very wrapped up in it. I did not have my own business at the time. I was working with my dad. I'd helped him start his business back in 2004, left and did marketing, and then had gone back to work with him. And what I what happened with the Lily for Target situation is that I ended up getting a lot of stuff. It was so crazy in the store that I just like threw a bunch of things in my cart and got really wrapped up in it and you couldn't try things on. And then I got home and I'm like, oh my God, I just spent five hundred dollars on like <laughs> what do I even have? And this doesn't fit. And I really wanted this dress and they didn't have it. And what am I going to do with these like fluorescent floral pillows, like all of this stuff. Right. And somehow I was able to figure out that people were selling this on Instagram. And so that opened up a whole new world for me of using Instagram in a different way than I had ever used it before. Right. And I had been listening to podcasts and thinking about what's my thing going to be. I knew I wanted to start a business. I'd been wanting to start a business for like a solid decade before then and had had a bunch of ideas, got to the logo phase and it just kind of fizzled out. And, and that was the moment where it was like, oh, I could use Instagram to get this going because I knew I wanted to start a podcast, but I felt like I needed an audience first. And so I'm like, okay, like, what am I going to do? Because I want to start that. And then eventually I want to do the podcast. And so that opened up the world of Instagram for me. And so in the summer of 2015, I started an Instagram account and started posting and building relationships. And at the time, it was all focused on mom business owners, which I wanted to be a part of that community, but I still had, I had my job, right? So I'm like putting on dresses and heels and going into the office every day. But I had a toddler. I knew we wanted to have another child and I wanted to be able to have that business and be part of a community like that. So I started building it. I saw my friends having small businesses while they were home with their kids and I was helping them. We had a group chat and that's kind of what sparked the inspiration. So that was like the beginning of it all of that. And through that, I was able to, I quickly grew that Instagram account from zero to a thousand followers in a month. And that created a lot of momentum and energy and excitement. And I started building relationships and led to starting a podcast with a co-host and all of those things. Now, at the time, I was not the go-to for go-to gal experts, right? It was it was called Chasing Dreams and Littles, and it was a community for mom business owners. And I didn't even know how I was going to monetize it. I started with the community, then added a podcast, but the podcast was a different brand and I was just like, if I get to know this audience, because I wasn't part of it yet, right? If I get to know this woman, then I can create what she wants. But I wasn't, it was, so it was this interesting dynamic because I was, yeah. even though I was a mom, I didn't have the business yet, right? Yeah. I was just starting into that space. So I really needed to figure it out. So I could keep you here all day with all of the twists and turns, but what happened was is I, I launched it imperfectly, right? We got this, we got a podcast going in fall of 2015. It was called All Up In Your Lady Business. And I met my host online. I launched my first ever program, which was a membership. And I could spin the numbers and make this sound really impressive. Like, oh, I got 300 people in a challenge and we converted 10 per, almost 10% of them into the membership, right? But the reality is, it was 29 people paying, you know, $29 a month. This is like, <laughs> this was a 
three figure business. Okay. I was making three <laughs> figures a month. Everybody's like, Oh, make like five figures a month or six figures a month. This was three figures a month. I did not hit that. There was no comma in the monthly revenue yet. Right. And so while there was great traction, this was not going to replace what I was doing in real estate at the time. Right. It wasn't going to replace that. So I ended up by accident because of the traction I had on Instagram. People were started coming to me for Instagram. Now, my Instagram strategy was all brand strategy and marketing. That's my background. And just applying a few of the Instagram things I knew, right? But people didn't get that side of Instagram. And so what I say is I built this personal brand by accident. So I was trying to build the branded business. And in doing that, as I was in groups asking questions, sharing what I was doing and just being me, people were like, well, wait, can you help me with Instagram? Can I hire you to do my Instagram? Can I, can you do Instagram consulting for me? What are your tips? Do you have a free resource for me? And I started getting all of this demand for the Instagram side of things. So that was really interesting for me because I was really embarrassed to be out there as a personal brand, which knowing me now may be hard to believe, but I was, you know, I think because I'd wanted to build a business for so long, I was so afraid that it wasn't going to stick or I was going to fail and it would be this like big public thing with the people who knew me in real life. Right. So while I was very comfortable building the audience, I didn't necessarily want to tell my whole network personally what I was doing yet at that point. So I'm like, okay, well, this is interesting. I never wanted to be the Instagram expert, but people are coming to me. So, okay, sure. You can hire me to do your Instagram or I'll, you know, I'll charge you $300 an hour to do Instagram consulting. And that led to a whole group coaching program course, all stuff all around Instagram. Essentially, I built a personal brand by accident, which was really fascinating to me. And it wasn't until a year later that I decided to drop the branded business and and really step into being a personal brand when I, you know, after a year of just, well, one, the one thing I forgot to mention was the week that I launched the podcast and the membership was also the week I found out I was pregnant with baby number two. Oh man. <laughs> this is a really a busy time. <laughs> this is a really yes. busy time. <laughs> oh, so throughout that year I started realizing how easy it was to grow this Instagram side of my business because people were coming to me. They knew me for this. They saw me doing it and saw me as an expert in it. And there was a whole host of ways that I could leverage and monetize that. I was being asked to speak. My mentors at the time, Jill and Josh Stanton with Screw the 9 to 5, asked me to come speak at their conference out in California. So all of this exciting momentum with the side of the business I wasn't even trying to grow. And then this branded side of the business, Chasing Dreams and Littles, it took... It took until April of that year to get that first four-figure month with that side of the business, right? So this other side was kind of, I was saying, like robbing Peter to pay Paul. I was doing this other stuff to, to pay to grow that business. And after a year and a half of it, in the beginning of 2017, it was like, you know what? I, I think this is the wrong market. I started realizing things about the brand and how there was a disconnect from what I really wanted to do and realizing the power of having a personal brand which is really ironic because I literally was doing personal branding marketing <laughs> before I started 
started uh, my business. Now, in a totally different industry, in like the mixed martial arts field, we were building personal brands for mixed martial arts instructors. So I knew the power of that already. I just, I think so many of us, when we come into a different business, a new business, we discount our previous experience if it doesn't match exactly. And so it just, it felt like all of the dots connected. And I knew that that was the direction that was helping me the most, that was helping my clients at the time the most, and that I had the, the, you know, the backup of my previous career to know it worked as well. Oh my gosh. I love this story. And I, there's a couple things I love about it. One is that it's not like a really clean linear path, right? Oh, like nothing linear at like all about this. A lot of, if you were to plot this on a graph, it would be really jagged and loopy and like all these different things, but like they all kind of connect to get you to where you are today. The other thing I love about your story is that you did it. So you had this dream, you had this two-year-old, so I can very much relate to having a young child and a big dream, and you had a job, and you had this thing that you decided to go for and like go do. And I know from experience, from building my own business, that as you're doing the thing that you've been dreaming about for so long, there are all these moments that come up along the way where you have a lot of negative self-talk that comes in and you have to be able to show up and overcome the that kind of those things that are sabotaging yourself like you mentioned this potential of failing big like failing in front of your community but really i think a lot of us are most afraid of failing ourselves along the way of like proving that we are not capable or proving that we are capable, right? Like there's two sides of that. So I'd love to know your your own experience. What imposter syndrome, negative self-talk did you experience along the way? And the reason I'm asking you this is because I know you help a lot of people through this. So I'd love to hear a bit about your personal experience and what are some of the things that you use to overcome those, those moments where you could have said, I'm not good enough, I'm not capable enough, that person already did that thing, so what's the point in trying? I'm too busy. Like, how did you overcome those periods? Okay, I'm so glad you asked this because there were so many, and it is the really important part of the story. And I think for me, there's also when you're, the people in your real life see you fail, then it feels the realest. So it is, it's, you're right, it's like it is, a lot of us are afraid of failing ourselves, but sometimes it's the people that we actually know seeing it that, that, you know, allows us to acknowledge that or see it or make it feel more real. So I said before growing up, I was, I was the go-to to talk. I was the one that would order at the restaurants. And I really was this very confident 20 something, you know, woman. I was on boards in my community. when I worked for my dad, he would always put me in situations that were very uncomfortable that I think helped build that. Like he'd be like, oh, uh, yes, we're going to have the painters come and give a quote today. So can you be at the office? I'm like, okay, great. And then he'd have both of the painters come at the same time to give the quote, like the competitors. And I'm like, oh my God, how do I handle this? Right. So I was used to being in those situations. And when I started this business, I hired a coach who was a business and life coach right around like maybe a month before I had launched everything because I was starting to feel like I needed strategy, right? 
And I remember hiring her and being like, okay, well, she's a business and life coach, but I really just need the, the business side. You know, I don't need any of this life coach stuff. And then as we start, as everything happened and I found out I was pregnant, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm so grateful to have someone to support me with the mindset and the emotion of it all. And I remember saying to her, because there, I was in so much self-doubt and all those that inner critic in my head and all of this stuff and i remember trying to tell her like i am normally such a confident person <laughs> like i swear i'm normally confident because i'm like i didn't even recognize myself in those situations and this was so this wasn't just like a moment this was so extreme for me at the time and i won't say it was debilitating because i still did it right like you pointed that out i still did the thing but i like did the thing holding all of the hands and with all the band-aids that I needed to do to get me to do the thing. So this coach that I hired, she was well known in my community. And when I launched the membership, I was like, okay, I have three calls with you a month. Can we use one of those calls for my membership? for like everybody in the membership. And she was like, okay. So literally this membership, we were doing coaching calls and it was me and my coach. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I'm like, I can't even do, I didn't even think that people would want to join the membership to just get the coaching from me. So I'm like, I got to have my coach here on the calls with me, which was hysterical. Right. And I don't know, it was like three or four months later, that was the first month that I did a coaching call without her on it. And I remember thinking, is anyone going to come to the call? Is anyone still going to stay in the membership if she's not a part of it? Like, are they really here for me? And that was such a mind blowing. It felt so vulnerable, but then seeing people stay and being able to step into my own on the call and see how comfortable I really was with that once I got going in that groove, but giving myself that room to grow. And I don't think I could have done that out of the gate. I needed that like crux of like, let's bring the coach along for the ride. So absolutely in the beginning and even still. So I say with, this is important to remember, with self-doubt, with imposter syndrome, it doesn't show up when we're comfortable. Mm. So this belief that it is only something that happens at certain stages of your business or early on is totally not true. In fact, it shows up every time we're trying to stretch ourselves and get out of that comfort zone. So for me, I've reframed it in my mind that if I'm not feeling that imposter syndrome come up, if I'm not feeling any of that, then I'm too comfortable, that I'm not stretching myself, that I'm not looking to grow. And that's really my cue of what am I doing here? How can I stretch myself to grow? Mm. You know, I, I love that point. And I think that that growth piece that you talk about often connects for people related to visibility and like showing up fully as their full selves. And I, for me, this has definitely been a journey. You mentioned that you started your business, you know, with this young child in tow. And I started my business when I was 24, I think 25. And there's a maturity, I think, that happens along with the maturity of your business. And as you kind of get more comfortable being a business owner or being a personal brand, but I still think that most of us, and I imagine many people listening, really kind of cringe a little at this idea of being visible, of being a brand, of sharing my full self. I would much rather be behind the scenes and 
only show the most polished version and not really show up fully and authentically. And we've talked about how this uh, off off recording, how this is a version of self-sabotage, like this idea that I shouldn't, I I really don't want to show up and be visible. I don't, I don't want to really own a personal brand. You talked about your own journey, stepping into really owning your personal brand. Can you talk a little bit about that and about your own acceptance of like showing up as who you are and how you coach people through this rejection of, of really creating a brand around themselves. And I'd love to hear too related. I think about a lot of the authors that I work with when you're an author, you have to show up as a personal brand. Like that is one of the number one things that you have to do. You really need to own the space as an expert, as a go-to authority in your, in your niche. So what advice would you have for people drawing on your own experience and drawing on the work that you've done supporting your coaching clients? Okay. My advice here, which may actually surprise some people, which, which is a good thing is that, well, one, so the advice is for the mindset side of things and for the marketing strategy is the same thing, which is really powerful because the things that can get in our way are also this, like by overcoming that can also be the thing that's going to give us the most results with the visibility we're doing. Mm-hmm. And that is much to everyone's <laughs> belief, much against that your personal brand is not about you. And when we are really in that imposter syndrome stage, or when we really feel like we're, I don't know, like, ah, who am I to do this? Or people are going to think this about me, or I don't like the sound of my own voice or whatever those things are that we're telling ourselves. I don't like the way I look on camera when we're putting that microscope on ourselves. I, I picture that like really high magnetized mirror for like plucking out your your eyebrows where you're like you're seeing every pore at 10x and we're just looking at ourselves under this microscope under this huge magnifying glass and seeing every flaw and being really critical of it but when we take that light and turn it around and shine it on the people that we want to serve that we want to make an impact with we're not only taking that pressure and that scrutiny off of ourselves of who am I, because it's not about you. It's about who is that person you want to help and how can you help them? Right. And when that's the energy, when the energy is of service, when we're trying to help someone, we're not helping if we're thinking of all the things that are wrong about us, right? We're helping when we're thinking about what can we do to help them? What do they need to hear? What do they need to see, right? And so that reframe can really, really is a big shift with your mindset of the energy even of which you're showing up. But also it's the best marketing advice I can give because as much as people want to connect with the person, they want to connect with the person, right? It's about that connection. It's about what you are saying and doing that relates to them. They're the visibility that you're showing up with, they are taking that in, but as it relates to them, they don't just want to watch you to watch you, right? They want to watch you because of what you represent, of what you can teach them, of what you can help them with, of what you're doing that they see themselves in. So when you're showing up from that place, that's not about you, it's easier from the mindset perspective, and but also you are showing up in the best possible way to be building that relationship with your community. Oh, love everything about that. And it's so it's interesting because I couldn't help but connect this to the coaching that I do with authors, 
because I find that a lot of times when people are stuck on putting together a solid book idea, outlining their book, writing the book, they're running into roadblocks in writing, writer's block, any of those things, a lot of times it's because they're focused inward instead of being focused on their reader and really asking themselves, who, who am I writing this for? So really deeply understanding that person or group of people that you are serving through your book and supporting through your book, but, but also really focusing your energy in the writing process on them. Because when you go inside and you start thinking, oh, this sucks, I'm a terrible writer, I don't have anything valuable to add, everybody said this already, there are better experts than me, my stories are bad, I'm, you know, the list goes on of all the things, I'm too busy, I can't, I, I can't get any writing done when I sit, all those things. That's all inside, that's all us just criticizing ourselves and making it about us when like, that's not what a book is about. A book is about the reader, the book is created for the reader. It's the same thing that you just said. You're creating this brand not to showcase your amazingness, but to show up for the people who are connecting with you. Exactly, exactly. Jacqueline, I would love to hear some practical strategies from you. I think you know me well enough to know I am a woman of practicality. And I'm sure there are people listening who are thinking, love all of this. I love all of this advice and this mindset shift. And we're going to talk in a minute about a little bit more about mindset. But before we get there, I'd love to just get some really practical advice from you for somebody who really is is ready to become a go-to authority. What are some of the first steps that they would need to take to to build or grow authority within their field? So first things first, let's take a look at what do we even mean by go-to authority? So I've had this conversation before with someone who is a certified coach or EPA or a realtor, right? And they're credentialed in their field of expertise. And they're like, I don't like, I already am an authority, right? So what is, what does this mean? I already have that credential. And this is an important distinction because it's not just talking about becoming the authority, it's becoming the go-to authority. So what I mean by that is there's two parts. There's the relationship and the expertise, and you need to have both. So an example that I think really illustrates this is let's use the example of a realtor. And we all know someone who sells homes in our community, right? That person, or maybe several people that you know, it's not just about the relationship. It's not just about knowing who that person is and what they do, right? You can know who someone is and what they do and not hire them. In fact, many of us have had that experience before where someone who we know has hired someone who does something very similar to us. And, and that hurts. We're like, you know me, you know this is what I do. Why did you hire that other person? Because relationship alone it's, is not authority, right? That's the go-to part. Now, on the other extreme of this, the authority part, we don't hire based on that either. So when we think about, I'm not the most experty expert that there is, there are other people who are more qualified, who've been doing this longer, who have more credentials, right? When we go to hire someone, I don't even know. I'm like, who's the, like, the, like when I go to get, I'm not going to hire like the property brothers to go find my house, right? <laughs> 
Oh, is that even an option? I don't even know if that's, they do. Oh, but you don't necessarily hire the person who is the like who you can think of who is the most distinguished, well-known, established person in that field too, right? You hire the person who has that combination, who you have that relationship with, you feel the connection with, and it doesn't have to be two ways, right? They could just be someone who you follow online and you feel like you know them, but you also have to see them as that authority, that they're that trusted source, that other people see them as that expert. There's some, there's the other element of, I don't just know what they do, but I see them as that authority. And a lot of times in relationships, we don't have that. But a lot of times the people that are the most experts don't have that relationship, don't have that connection. And that's where we have a lot of opportunity to not just show up as that authority, but to show up in the way that we're building the relationship with our community, whether that's two ways or just one way by showing up and creating content that creates connection. And so that's a really important distinction as we're having this conversation of it's not just about, you know, having your expertise and it's not just about building relationships. It has to be both. Now, that said, there's five parts to building authority. I'm gonna go through them really fast because I know we still have a lot of other things to get to, but when it comes to like, what does it actually take to build authority? I have a five-part framework and it's called the authority armor framework. So the, the first part is having that authority brand. From there, you wanna have a the right offer in front of the right people. So really being specific with not just what it is that you do, but who you do it four. So back to the realtor example, we don't just want anyone who's a realtor. If I'm looking to buy a home in a certain area, I want someone who's an expertise in that specific market, right? Or if I'm looking to buy a mid-century modern home, maybe somebody who knows that specifically and has that area of expertise. So aligning the right offer with the right people with the right audience. So that's the R. Then we go to M, which is the mindset. And this is the part that I think, you know, I'm so glad we're focusing on today because so often people skip over it. It's like, oh, it's all about visibility. It's all about marketing. It's all about relationships. But the fact of the matter is, if you don't believe that you're that go-to authority, if, you, if your belief doesn't match up with that marketing, one, you're either not going to do those activities, which is probably more likely, or even see the opportunities that are presented to you because you won't believe that they're for you, which is very common. Actually, people don't even realize the opportunities that are around them because they're just not thinking like that or going after those things or making those asks. And so I would say your business grows at the speed of your beliefs. So getting that belief system aligned with being the authority is really going to help with all these other strategies, right? Without the inner work and none of the other stuff is going to work. I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? Yes, your business grows at the speed of your beliefs. Is that is that what you wanted me to do? Yes. <laughs> so I, I, I model this so off of Todd Herman says your business grows at the speed of your relationships, which I also do believe. But even more so, I've come to believe that it's the it's the belief systems, because when that isn't there, like I said, you're either not going to do it or when you do do it, it's going to be that misaligned energy that just isn't going to work. Mm, okay, let's keep rolling. I want to hear the rest. Okay, so then, and so then the, the so that's uh, the the M, and then we have the last two. So the O is OPP, other people's platforms, and that's when you're able to borrow authority from an already established platform that has authority. So that could be 
getting media that could be you know being featured in forbes or something like that but it could also be your local news channel or being on a podcast like we're doing right here so and we can talk i want to get more into that later because it is such a, a fast track with podcasting especially podcast guesting but you're basically someone already has a platform and you're able to somehow leverage that platform to borrow authority so there's i guess to break that down one layer deeper there's two ways to do that one is where you're doing things that are you're going to share with your existing community like i was in i was featured in an article in reader's digest <laughs> or parents magazine right oh, that's I, didn't get any, I, I didn't get any traffic from this right like that wasn't anything that was used to grow my audience right i don't think anybody came from that article and became a podcast listener or can't, maybe they did but it didn't seem like it right however when i shared that article with my community they saw me being featured they saw my advice given and that helped me build more authority with my existing community right same thing with i was on tv i was on a morning show talking about mindset tips for moms that had you know they mentioned my podcast but again it was not the target audience for my podcast I don't think anyone watching that show in the morning in DC somewhere was, was going to actually become a listener or a client. However, I can directly tie clients that came from me sharing that TV clip and then seeing me get up there. And, and I think to tie this back in before with shining that spotlight on away from yourself and onto your audience, I had my own insecurities of, oh, I should lose weight before I get on TV or this or that. And by me actually doing it, it makes such a bigger impact with my audience. Cause I'm not just saying you should do it. They see me going after these things and they're like, oh, people that look like you can be on TV. People that look like me can be on TV and you're opening doors just by literally showing up but doing your thing. So mm. that's really powerful I too. I love that. It is powerful. Yes. And so the other side of it is doing those things, the the media, the podcasts that are going to bring in audience and that new audience that comes in is going to immediately view you as an authority. So your existing audience that, you know, you're kind of over time building up authority with them, but when you build audience through other people's platforms, that audience comes into you immediately already thinking of you as an authority. So it's kind of a shortcut. Yeah, that's great advice. And I, I wonder as people think about how to do this practically, would that be, you know, casting a net out to parallel platforms like people within your kind of broader scope of influence that are kind of connected to what you do but not directly competitive and pitching them or or how do you how do you suggest that people go about that so my favorite way is podcast guesting i uh, i'm not shy about that and it's because it is the most so okay let's say i i did i had an article featured about me in forbes right the people that read that article, yes, they are potential clients and they can easily click to my site, right? But how much are they getting from me in that article, right? Maybe they got some tips, but it's written word, which doesn't build relationship as quickly. And they might forget how, you know, they may even not notice that the picture in the article is of me. Sometimes you get featured things and there's not even a picture of you, right? So it's all written word, which is 
is powerful, but also they, they don't have necessarily a picture of what you look like, or they can't hear your voice. And, and so the relationship is only going to be so far. It's a short article, right? Maybe you have a couple sentences, even if the whole article is about you, it's still limited. Whereas if someone listens to a 20 minute, 30 minute, hour long podcast interview with me, they hear my story, they hear my voice, they hear my tips, they know the host that introduced me. And so that immediately builds authority because this person who they already listened to is, is now in trust, right? Who they already have authority in that relationship that no love and trust relationship built up with is saying this person's an authority. They're not second guessing that, right? And then they listen to you and they really get to know you that speeds up that relationship and authority building process light years. It's second best to meeting in person and maybe even better because of all of these, like it's like this perfectly curated situation of how they're meeting you. Where in person, they may not have heard all, all you know, they're not probably not listening to you talk for as long, right? And so someone who's listened to a podcast interview with me is much more qualified and knows me so much better than someone who's just read an article. Mm, interesting. I love that. And I love that. So it, it it may not be quantity, but for podcast guesting, it's a hundred percent quality leads. Yes. But I think what to your point, yes, look at your industry. Who else has a similar audience? It's all about the audience, right? So who already has an audience built up of people who are similar to the people that you want to connect with? And how can you collaborate how can you be on their platform maybe how can you get them on your platform to to get in front of each other's audiences because it's all about who are you talking to so where are these you know with podcasts i think of as like virtual stages but it could be anything so absolutely look at who has that audience great advice thank you for that practical tip and i think we have one more letter left still yes good good at keeping track so the last letter is r which will be no surprise the last r is relationships and that really is about building the relationship with your community but also with other people too with with other people in your industry and this is also something this is how i use podcasting first and foremost now over time it's been a great way to grow my community and nurture my community but it's been from the beginning when our audience wasn't as big such a powerful tool to network with other leaders in my industry so having a podcast gives me a platform where now i can essentially reach out to anyone and offer them something rather than pitch just to be on their podcast right i have a platform to offer and by building that platform over time we get pitches so that's opened up the opportunity where oh yes i would love to have rebecca minkoff on my podcast (laughs) (laughs) oh right and it's not just about an interview right it's how can you now you're talking to someone on their on a podcast but how do you turn that into a relationship and that works both ways so if you're a podcaster think like this for your guests who do you want to be building relationships with and how can you have that be a way to either kick things off or keep a relationship going and as a guest on other people's podcasts same thing same mindset how do you keep that relationship going so podcasting is just one tool to be able to build relationships but i think it's a really powerful one because there's only so far that you can take 
a relationship online in comments or DMs, right? At a certain point, you want to get on Zoom, you want to get on voice chat or something to, to really start building genuine relationships. And the podcasting, whether you're a guest or a host, is such a great way to do this. Mm, that's an amazing point. I mean, we all know the power of relationships, but your point reminded me, you know, one of the things that I, I coach my students and clients in when they're writing books is that this is a great opportunity to reach out to the person you've always admired in your field and ask them if they, you can interview them for the book that you're writing. So if that this angle of relationships, there's probably infinite opportunities for you to utilize something that you're doing, podcast, writing a book, writing an article, even researching something like really to be able to reach out to people and begin to build those relationships. I love that you that you connected to that one. Okay, so you I think have, books are the 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 original. I feel like we have to like underscore that books the, OG. Are the original, right? The yeah, authority. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> books are totally the original here with yes, it's instant authority if you have a book for sure. Yes. Oh, absolutely. So, you just recently came out with this new quiz that I took uh, to uncover my villain voice. Um, spoiler alert, mine was Miranda Priestley. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about this quiz? Why do I have Miranda Priestley inside of my brain at, at different times? And and what where can they go to, to take this quiz themselves? So tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so this quiz is new, but the work underneath it isn't new. Now, something I didn't mention early on, but when I started having all of this inner doubt early on in my business, I started doing some one-on-one -on -one coaching through my membership. And as soon as I got on a call one-on-one -on -one with someone, everyone was saying the same thing. And so we're in our group calls, maybe it was more about strategy and business and the one-on-one -on -one calls, everyone was talking about that inner critic in the, in their head and, and how they were doubting themselves, the imposter syndrome, the comparison, all of this stuff. And so by having these private conversations, I started to see the pattern. I started to see things I was experiencing myself reflected back to me with my clients. And, and I started to see the pattern across multiple people too. And this is when I really started to realize, okay, this is a big part of the puzzle here. So over the last six years, this has been a big part of my work and how much the marketing and the mindset go hand in hand. And personifying that inner voice, that inner critic is a fun way, which I think is important, <laughs> right? To, to take away some of its power. It can feel so heavy. It can feel so isolating. It can feel so paralyzing. And to be able to disarm that with humor is a really powerful tool and is, is part of the framework of, of when you take the quiz of our conquer plan. Uh, humor is a part of it, but that's built into the whole structure of the quiz of let's take, I mean, I probably could have come up with a quiz that's like, how are you sabotaging your success? But like, who really wants to take that quiz, right? Like, it just feels like, oh. But by personifying that inner critic as a movie villain, it makes it fun. It makes it funny. And it makes it easier to have the conversation about what is that voice in your head. Now, over the years of working with clients in many different capacities, I've realized is, not everyone's inner voice is 
the same. Now, of course, everyone's voice is probably completely unique. But what I did realize, and this is funny because I stumbled upon this by accident, is I actually built the framework modeling it off of real people. And so I originally kind of like put like, okay, it seems like with this group, it's, you know, we get in our head and this is, I'm an Ursula, <laughs> the, the, or I shouldn't say I'm an Ursula, the, the, my inner villain voice is Ursula. And that's a big part of it is that it's not your voice. And so by personifying it, it makes it more clear that this is a voice outside of yourself, right? We're hearing it in our head, but it's not us that's saying those things, it's Ursula saying those things, or it's Miranda saying those things. Or we, I also have uh, Regina George is the other oh, result that you can get from Mean Girls, the classic Mean Girl, right? <laughs> and so with this, it's a little bit different for everyone and people self-sabotage in different ways. And so I started breaking down, okay, how are people self-sabotaging, right? And why are we doing that as the result of the voice in our head? And so accidentally, I ended up creating the framework based on Enneagram, which I didn't realize I was doing at first. So I got so far with it and then realized that there was this parallel to the Enneagram triads. So essentially, though, the way that I talk about it with the sabotage styles is there's three different sabotage styles. We all sabotage ourselves likely in all of these ways, but we have a dominant sabotage style. And when you understand it, you can spot it better. You can call it out and you can stop it. So knowing that sabotage style and knowing who that villain voice is, is the first step to being able to stop this pattern because it's a pattern that we all have and it shows up in different ways. So with Miranda as your, as your villain voice, what happens with Miranda is she is so the people who get Miranda as a result, one of your superpowers is your instinct. And, and that is something that really works to your advantage in your business. However, when you're in self-sabotage mode, Miranda distorts your instinct. Mm. So her sabotage style is distorting that. And when you know that, that's when you see, like, sometimes people want to, impulsively fire a client or will question what they're doing with a launch in the middle of it. And when you know, oh, okay, but that's Miranda distorting my instinct because normally you can trust your instinct, right? And so it's confusing in those situations because Miranda's sabotaging that. And so your instinct is actually bringing you against what you should or normally would be doing. So the, so one style is with Miranda is the sabotaging of your instinct with Ursula, which is the inner villain voice that I have. Her sabotage style is she sabotages my thoughts. So my superpower is, is my brain is my thoughts and ideas and strategy. And when Ursula is sabotaging me, she sabotages those thoughts. And instead of being positive, they're negative and, and I'm overthinking things and can get trapped in inaction because of that. With Regina, her sabotage style. So people that get Regina as their inner villain voice, their superpower is their emotional IQ. They, they're really empathetic. They connect with others easily. They understand their own feelings and the feelings of others. And when Regina is sabotaging them, her sabotage style is to sabotage their 
feelings. And so they become overwhelmed with negative emotion and comparison and self-doubt and shame. And that's what distorts them from being able to tap into that emotion that's usually their superpower is now all consuming and and prevents them from from being able to do whatever it is that they're trying to do so those are the three sabotage styles we all have a little bit of all of them but we have that dominant way that we and so i guess going back to miranda oftentimes with miranda something goes wrong and the gut instinct then becomes work harder right it's that miranda voice that's like you know it's not good enough you need to work harder try harder and all of that and that's not your gut normally wouldn't tell you to do that but that's the miranda voice push i guess distorting that instinct this is fascinating i'm sure that listeners are really curious where they can go find out who their inner villain voice is so where would they go to take that quiz if you go to jacquelinemalone.com forward slash quiz and it's a fun quiz the idea is this is a heavy topic but it doesn't have to be and so and by also by personifying these voices which i'm sure you saw in your result we even bring that character that personification of the inner critic into the results into your conquer plan and each conquer plan is specific for the different types because there's different ways I have an overarching framework, but there's different ways that we need to conquer that villain. The villains are a little different. So understanding that allows us to to put that custom plan together for you. So you could take it for free at JacquelineMalone.com forward slash quiz. I'll be sure to include that link in the show notes. Jacqueline, thank you so much for your time and just sharing your wisdom, both the practical strategies, these wonderful mindset pieces of advice. I really appreciate your time and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I always love chatting with you, but talking about this stuff is so important and I really appreciate you sharing this with your community too, these important topics that don't get talked about enough. I couldn't agree more. Thanks so much, Jacqueline. This podcast is produced by me, Stacey Ennis. Special thanks to Daniel Alexander for sound editing and Katherine Fishman for project support. These two make the show possible and I'm grateful. You can always access show notes, including any links mentioned in this episode at stacyennis.com slash podcast. And you can connect with me at stacyennis.com, on Instagram at Stacey Ennis, or on Facebook at Stacey Ennis Creative. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Here's to building lives that are beyond better.